Professors FM. Hey everyone, welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. Mike Lewis, Doug Battle, broadcasting from Emory University, the jewel of the South. Hey Doug, I'm not sure where to start with today, so we'll start with an old favorite. Like so, this is this is the part of the year where sports are kind of there's like a void, right? Baseball hasn't started. NBA is, you know, starting the playoff drama. Playoff push. But as always, and look, I, I tune in to ESPN regularly to see what their top stories are. And right out of the gate, they're talking about the NFL. And we got the combine starting this week. We've got an updated salary cap number. But the lead story, and he's someone we've talked a lot about because he's just an interesting media figure, is that Justin Fields might be the biggest story going into the NFL offseason. The Bears are again in a position where they have the number one draft pick, so they make a decision. Are they going to draft Drake May or Caleb Williams or continue to invest in Justin Fields? Perhaps something goes down with the combine. Did you see the... Did you see the podcast episode where the host brought up that Fields had unfollowed the Bears and the NFL? Yeah, and Fields' classic response was that just because you don't follow her on Instagram doesn't mean you're not messing with her. Those were his words, not mine. So, and I think he came out and said that, you know, he'd love to play for the Bears. I think he'd love to play starting quarterback in the NFL. And I think he will. I, I just... There's not a lot of clarity as to where. And you touched on the void in the sports schedule. It's an interesting time of year because there's so much going on, but there's nothing important going on. And the NFL tends to find a way to be the number one headline in these scenarios, whether it's in the summer during the middle, you know, the kind of the lull of MLB season or right now when it's pre-March Madness, pre-NBA playoffs, post-Super Bowl, NHL's going on. And Justin Fields has been, it's been the same story for months. There's really hasn't been a lot of movement in terms of, you know, it seems like, do we know what the Bears are going to do? No. It seemed at one point like they're probably moving on from him, probably trying to assess his trade value and, We've heard speculation about Pittsburgh or Atlanta or New York. I, I've heard just you know just about every team that doesn't have a top. I assume, yeah, I every every team that doesn't have a top ten quarterback. I've seen articles about why Fields could be the guy and and why it makes sense and why they they have the assets to bring him in. And I think he's gonna always be a story, whether he's playing or not, whether he's traded or not. But I, I'll tell you what's an interesting. Kind of predictable story is the May hype that we're starting to get. Is it not every year that we have a quarterback who is pegged as the number one guy since high school? Yeah. And everyone knows it was Trevor Lawrence. You know, everyone knows this guy's going number one for years. And then come combine time, what about this other kid? What about this other guy? Did you see him throw that ball? 83 yards, hit, hit the crossbar. Yeah, you know how often you have to do that in NFL games? <laughs> it's a huge need to throw the ball 83 yards and hit the crossbar. Well, so uh, if if they make a rule change where you can't do field, you can do field goals with your arm, yes. you know, he could be that could be really useful. We're still. talking about a, a video that was 
making the rounds of social media. I, I don't know. All the comments or a good chunk of the comments proclaimed that the, it was a fake. Uh, it was a fake. The video was faked. I, I don't know. It's I immediately embraced it because I felt like, oh, this is uh, this is a guy at least taking a baby step towards being Will Levis. Right? <laughs> this is the novelty act. The, I mean, it's every year. And it was Justin Fields with in Trevor Lawrence's year. There's always that second guy. Carson Wentz came out of nowhere in the RG3 year. There, there's always that second guy that comes in the mix. And people, it, it wouldn't be an NFL draft if it was just one unanimous number one yeah. overall quarterback. Trevor's, Trevor Lawrence was like the fourth guy when it was all said and done, wasn't he? But with probably the second most media hype and media attention. You mean Justin Fields? Justin Fields. What did I say? Yeah, you said Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah he, was number, he was number one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that that year was like especially crazy yeah. with, with Trey well, Lance. That year had everything because remember Zach Wilson makes a Zach throw rolling out. He's able to throw the ball fifty yards while rolling out in the wrong direction. Right. How many times have we seen a viral video seem to push a guy's draft stock up? And how many times has that? been useful at the next level like the fact because it was a sam darnold he had a viral rolling left throwing right across the body you know 60 yard i don't know how far the throw was on his pro day where people said wait a second this guy might need to go number one have you seen the viral video <laughs> it's well, like if in basketball if we took you know the nba draft and everything we know about the players but then a video comes out of one of them shooting full court shots mm -hmm. with one arm, throwing it like a football, and they hit three in a row. And it's like, hold up. Hold your horses on LeBron going number one. This other guy hit three full court shots. I think he is – I think he might be a better player than LeBron James at the game of basketball. And with all that said, I will acknowledge it may very well may be a better player than Caleb Williams as I'm not a huge Caleb Williams guy. So we'll see how it plays out. But I just love that the NFL has these storylines every year. There's always some crazy video that comes into the mix to shake things up and divide fans. Well, it's a, it's a good question because I, I can buy into the logic that if, if hype develops around a guy post his collegiate career, that that's evidence that there's some bias that is working towards hyping this guy up. So it's almost like if you see this Sam Darnold-ish, or Sam Darnold throwing in the rain at the USC Pro, yeah. pro Day, or, yeah, yeah. Or, or Kyle, or, or, or Wilson, right? That these things mean that you are being misled, right? That the hype doesn't tend to, doesn't tend to play out. I'm just going to say if we base drafts on those viral – moments that seem impressive why is dude perfect not in the nba or the nfl <laughs> that's, that's he's had the most impressive ones let's let's talk about him as a prospect i don't know i i just think it's silly i, I think it's silly but nonetheless all that said i'm not sold on caleb williams and so i'll engage in the possibility of me being the better prospect hey if i'm the bears I love the idea of Drake May. It's kind of like, it's almost like the old school thing of let's do the opposite, right? This kind of big old. You're not going to get Fields 2.0. Yeah, big old country yeah. boy. Let's go, let's go a different. Fields wasn't working with their offense. So let's go the, let's go the opposite direction. Fields was, Fields was 10 and 20 
10 and 28 as a starter for the Bears? Yeah. I, I looked up Fields versus Pickett because it seems like the consensus is now that the Steelers are ready to move on from Kenny Pickett yeah. after after two seasons, which is, again, you know that I am absolutely intrigued by Fields, always have been. The The way he generates media attention is absolutely is absolutely fascinating. So I looked up Kenny Fields versus... Kenny Pickett. Uh, Kenny Pickett versus Justin Fields. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, that, and so just a, co- just a couple of numbers. Interception percentage. Okay, so percentage of interceptions for every throw that they make. Fields, 3.1%. Pickett, 1.8%. Sack percentage. Fields, 12.8%. Pickett, 6.6%. Okay, so in terms of mistakes or indicators of processing speed in terms of you know reading the field and delivering the ball Pickett seems to have a significant advantage completion percentage 60 percent for fields 62.5 for Pickett touchdown percentage okay so this is where I, I will admit that when I watch fields even though I've got this history of looking at the data and not being impressed there's something about the way he plays, the spectacular plays that he makes that will get you to buy in. It, it's like oh, a yeah. drug. And so touchdown percentage, so per- percentage of passes that yield a touchdown, fields 4.2%, pick at 1.8%. I think that collection of numbers kind of says everything, right? Fields makes a lot of mistakes, but he makes a lot of spectacular plays. He's got the upside, and I think that fans and organizations can always sell themselves on the upside because it's always you can always limit the mistakes. You can always, well, if we could reduce his turnovers, the Giants have done this with Daniel Jones. You know, if you just stop fumbling the ball, get the ball, you know, learn to, to throw the ball away instead of taking a sack, and you keep that upside, you keep those touchdowns, those spectacular plays, those run plays, and you've got yourself an elite quarterback. And I think that Fields, like, clearly, physically, has always been an elite specimen and and so you can always sell yourself on you know he's gonna learn he's gonna we can coach it out of him we can coach the bad habits out of him and i'm with you mike i i I can look at the numbers and say yeah this guy's just not cutting it but every time i watch him play i'm like sold again on okay it's it's just a matter of time it's a matter of the right situation the right personnel and coaching um Okay, him more so than any player I've ever seen. Where it's just like he could forever throw a you know a game losing interception every game, and I will still watch him and be like, man, I just feel like if you put him on the Eagles and in Jalen Hurts situation, that he is going to thrive. If you put him, you know, I I think that a lot of people would compare him to C.J. Stroud as a prospect and maybe as a superior prospect coming out of college. And there's no throws that Stroud's making that Fields can't make. There's no runs he's making that he can't make. So there's again, there's that upside potential, and, and I think that that's what organizations are valuing over your floor. He has a lo- probably a lower floor and a higher ceiling than a lot of quarterbacks that are not starting in the NFL. I'm gonna agree with you, and I'm gonna push back on that. Okay, because. I don't know that there's any evidence that you can fix the problems, right? I I struggle to think of an example where, 
Okay, so the, the I think quarterback, like quarterback, Josh Allen. Quarterback's going to play in this system. But, you know, and, and again, the one thing Fields has going for him is just repetitions, right? Yeah. So as a young guy, clearly you mature into something different. I, I looked up Tom Brady as we were talk as you were talking, and Brady's sack percentage is 4.5 compared to Fields at 12.4. His touchdown percentage is actually 5.4 compared to Fields 4.2. His interception percentage is 1.8 compared to Fields 3.1. Okay, and I, and I I pulled up Brady just because I wanted to get the sense of like Pickett has struggled, right? Pickett has struggled, and and so to go to someone that has probably made their career based on not making mistakes as a Tom Brady. I, I don't know that there's any – I mean, and this is this is the dilemma of – here's the dilemma of analytics. I watch Fields play, and the running, the running skills probably induce a bias towards, towards my evaluation. But I come away thinking he might be the most talented physical specimen to ever play quarterback beyond Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, right? That he seems to have that level of – superhuman skills Mm -hmm. but on the other side these indicators of mistakes and and so when look when i look at this i kind of go man those superhuman skills rg3 cam newton michael vick right do do, do, are when do injuries take those away versus when do the repetitions get you to the point where the game slows down and the pro- the processing speeds up or the game slows down, however you want to look at it. And I don't know the answer to that. If I can get Fields for I mean, so so what's Fields' value? Third round pick, second round pick? It's, not, it's definitely not what he was drafted. At. Not a top ten pick. It's a tough calculation yeah. out there. But you know, while Zach Wilson and you know Trey Lance are pretty much done, and the who's the Mac Mac Jones? Mac Jones is i don't know almost being kind of cast as a journeyman journeyman at, at this point that fields has that upside potential but i look at the data doug i don't think it's going to work I, I don't think there you know it'll be but again it's going to be a great story for at least another couple of years yeah there's two different statistical <sighs> tendencies that you pointed out that i find pretty interesting the first being that a guy like fields apparently tends to take more sacks than a kenny pickett or a tom brady aka a far less athletic athletic quarterback and i know that you can point to well it's a different offensive line and that's really an offensive line stat but i don't know it does seem like these guys that have that hesitation where they're deciding should i run it and they start to tuck the ball and they're still thinking they might pass it they do tend to take sacks and I would love to see like a league wide stat across running quarterbacks versus passing quarterbacks and the percentages of sacks taken and the totals of sacks taken. But my bet is that, you know, the the runners would be taking more. And another thing you touched on is the injuries and mentioning RG three, mentioning Michael Vick, mentioning Cam Newton and how you know, one or two injuries and they're a completely different player because now when they're restricted to being a pocket passer, not, you know, as elite of a player as the, and, and Lamar Jackson's probably the counter to that is he's, he's kind of evaded. He's had a number of injuries and he's continued to be successful, but you know, it is something to think about with fields where it's, 
he hasn't had any injuries yet. And so that's something that in, in sports, particularly in football, particularly when you're taking a lot of sacks and when you're running the ball frequently is kind of inevitable and is likely to take a bigger step back than the next guy. If, and when that day comes, I look at Tom Brady. I remember Brady tore his ACL. I remember it so specifically because it was in week one and I had him on my fantasy team at the time. And I think he was my top pick at the time. This was kind of in the the middle of the Patriots dynasty. And I remember thinking, is this the end for Tom Brady? And it was kind of the beginning. It didn't really affect his game at all when he came back from ACL because he never relied on his athleticism. Joe Burrow relies on his a lot more and he tore his in year one. And I do think it set him back, but not so much that he's you know, was not able to be an elite player. And of course, lead the Bengals to a Super Bowl in his first season back from ACL. And so uh, again, that injury aspect and risk factor is a different, uh, you know, even looking at the draft, like uh, Drake may tearing his ACL versus Caleb Williams tearing his ACL is probably a different player after the injury, you know, as far as, Williams might be the better player before and may might be the better player after. And that's something that may happen. And it's something that, you know, I think that talent evaluators have to factor in with that position particularly. And so again, just really interesting. Some of the under the radar analytics that go into decision-making with these types of players. Well, Doug, let me, I mean, say that the tough one in all this is, you know the point about these these running quarterbacks taking more sacks is a good one, and this yeah I think this gets to the heart of kind of the problems with look at, when you, when you're just using public data to do the analytics, right? Because what we don't know is I mean does Fields run more than he should? Does Fields rely on his running because he can't locate the receivers? Where you know maybe a Lamar Jackson is a little bit better of, you know, going through the progressions and runs a little bit less than fields. So without sort of a very kind of almost play-by-play detailed approach, we're just left with these these signals. And uh, over time, as I've looked at more and more quarterback data, sacks taken, the percentage of sacks taken – and again, you, you brought up the other issue that fans will inevitably bring up. Well, the Bears' offensive line was, was terrible. I tend to dismiss those things I- at this point because if you had Brady behind the Bears' offensive line, he's not going to that level of he's not going to that level of sack. So again, every you know we could have a continu- he's getting rid of the football. We could have a continuing theme in all this that whenever you bring up a metric inevitably there's going to be a problem with that metric or a shortcoming related to that metric. So we look at, so we look at multiple metrics, right? We look at the interception percentage combined with the sack percentage, perhaps to get a sense of how it all fits together. Yeah. And I think with football being a team sport, that's where those metrics are really tricky where you're not Tom Brady didn't play behind the same offensive line as Justin Fields, So it's always going to be impossible to directly compare and to really know maybe he would have taken a bunch of sacks. Maybe Fields would have been the best quarterback of all time had he been on the prime Patriots teams. Like You will never technically know those things, but that's why, and this is probably a transition, that's why the combine is valuable to scouts and to teams because 
it takes away the other variables. It takes away the offensive line you're playing behind, you know, the receivers you're playing with, the the coaches you're playing for, and it's just a measurement with really everything else the same between players. It's like the only way to to look at one player versus another and just see how they stack up. And of course, when you're doing that, the only thing you really can measure is their pure athleticism, which is where someone like Fields would steal the show and probably did. I I don't quite remember his, his combine, but I mean, I think that's what the combine's for. I think it's to kind of maybe not settle these discussions or debates, but to add some information where we can compare these players directly. Well, (laughs) <laughs> you know, but I think the tough thing is, right, anyone that goes back and looks at quarterbacks drafted, it seems like there's a lot of – it's a very difficult position to predict. Yeah. I mean, I even go back to – remember last year, last combine? And perhaps the best visuals, and by best visuals, I mean the most amusing visuals, were, oh, this Alabama quarterback that's been amazing on the field <laughs> – Look at how short he is. He's as small as the ESPN anchor. Email sideline reporter. Yeah, ESPN sideline reporter. And the year before that, this guy, Kenny Pickett, you know, the most successful, you know, player on the field. Oh, he's got hands that are the size of a professor or a, or a girl, right? He's got girl hands. Small hands. Right. <laughs> And, and I mean, and the funny thing is, both of those guys have struggled, right? Mm-hmm. So it, the the strangeness of the signals that come out of this of oh look, he's too small, or he's got you know his hands are too small. I, I don't know how seriously to take any of the evaluation of quarterbacks because again, we go back to the Trevor Lawrence draft. Lawrence looks pretty good. I don't think anyone's putting him in that top five quarterbacks in the NFL. Trey Lance, just about out of the league. Zach Wilson, just about out of the league. Justin Fields still gets a lot of attention. Kind of gets a pass. Yeah, kind of gets a pass. Kind of gets a pass, but not a top 10, not a top 10 pick in terms of production on the field. Uh, Here's the other thing on Fields. If I'm a coach, I do not want Fields in my organization. Body language. Body language, but also just media coverage. Because as I listen to the coverage of Fields, inevitably it goes back to what gross mismanagement the Bears have conducted over the past years. And I don't know that that's fair, right? We know there's a problem. We don't know who's culpable ultimately. It's funny that you say that because it's always been that way with Fields. Uh, That's not new to the NFL when Fields was in college at Georgia at my alma mater and I was in the camp of this is gross mismanagement of a ridiculous talent I went to one practice and watching him throw the ball and watching Jake Fromm throw the ball and I was like all right I'm sold Fromm's never gonna play again like it's over goodbye hello you know transfer this this kid Fields is going to win the Heisman he's going to win championships He's going to. He was so impressive, Mike, that there was no doubt from the armchair coaches like myself that the coaching staff was making a massive mistake by having him on the sideline. And yet, when he was put into games, I remember being at the Auburn game. Fields is brought in. 
He had typically kind of been used more as a runner, was in a passing situation on a third down uh, or on a crucial down. I don't know. It was third down and hesitates, you know, a second too late and takes a sack, loses a couple yards, moves you know the team out of field goal range and is taken out of the game for Jake Fromm. And Fromm was such a boring player for the fans because there wasn't that upside. There wasn't that excitement that highlight, you know, uh, real ability and being and being like, well, they just gave him one play. If they just gave him more plays and let him settle in, then he would be killing it. And that was that's kind of how it's always felt with him. And I remember the SEC championship game against Alabama. George was in a fake punt situation. Fields is in the game. I think Alabama knew that they were doing a fake because I knew that they were doing a fake. I was in the stadium and Fields wasn't typically in on punt team. So it was like the Alabama sideline was kind of like, hey, something's up. And yet Georgia apparently felt confident that regardless, they could execute, they could convert this and it could help them win the game. This is in the fourth quarter. They snap it direct to Fields. He has kind of a pass run option where if the receiver's open, he throws it. If not, just take off and try to run it for a first down. Needs like four yards. Catches the ball, hesitates for a second. The receiver hasn't made his cut yet. Fields is impatient, just tucks his head and runs straight and gets tackled for you know a one-yard gain. Doesn't get the first down. Bama gets the ball. Bama wins the game. Well, the receiver broke open on that play. If he had waited another half second, he would have seen that and he would have easily thrown it. It was a pass he could easily make. But again, the fans' reaction was that these coaches are putting him in situations to fail. The coaches are setting him up to fail on a big stage and then he's humiliated. It makes him look bad. But if we just let him be the full-time quarterback, we would be winning these games. Okay, so the other thing with Fields... The NFL just announced the new salary cap, and it's up about thirty million dollars. So it's about two hundred and I think it's two hundred and fifty-five million dollars for next year. So the other thing about Fields is that he's coming off of well, he's soon to be completing the the rookie portion of his contract going into the option years. Now, this is always going to be part of the decision making for quarterbacks because you can pay a you can pay a Drake May or a Caleb Williams not a lot of money for for your production. With with Fields, it gets pretty complicated. Like, how much are you willing to invest in this guy, given how much uncertainty still exists? Now, the other story, the other big quarterback contract coming due, is Dak Prescott. Now, if you're the Cowboys, I don't know how you feel about the 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 notion that Prescott's going to win you a Super Bowl. As an outsider, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it, it, it probably would have happened if it was going to. I don't think Prescott seems to be in that, I don't know, that top 10, top 12 quarterback, the guys that don't quite get you over the hump. And so are you willing to give Prescott a $60 million contract you know because the quarterback market the way this goes every time there's a one of the elite guys signs a new contract you set another record right and then the chiefs have to go back and readjust Mahomes so are you willing to give Dak Prescott 60 62 million dollars a year i struggle and again you know, think about what the salary cap is so the top quarterbacks are getting about a quarter of the salary cap. Mm-hmm. Uh, tough one. I mean, what do you think, Doug? 
It's tough. Fields is not as tough. And my cautionary tale for Fields. Okay, how much are you willing to pay Fields? Twenty. <laughs> I, I I'd pay him like a backup quarterback. I really, if I like, I I I'm not that confident. And I would take him on too with like <laughs> if I'm if I'm the Falcons or if I'm I would take a chance on him, but I wouldn't pay him record-breaking money. You would, any- pay, you would pay Fields under what he perceives his market value. How do you think that's going to go in terms of, I know I'm sort of changing the topic here, but sideline demeanor, body language. I mean, it's, you know, we we went through this with Tim Tebow and with Colin Kaepernick, those players who demanded a lot of attention from the media and who you might not want on your franchise because of that. And it's the same deal with Fields. It's like, well, if you want to be in the NFL, then you've got to prove it. And until you do, you've got to be willing. You've got to have the humility to take a pay cut. Or in the case of Tebow, switch positions, which he wasn't willing to do for a very long time. And I, and I was just critical of him for that. Because I was like, dude, you have a chance to play in the NFL. <laughs> like, you could be a really good tight end. Who knows? But by the time he tried it, he was too old. So, uh, you know, and I'm not saying Fields needs to switch positions. Although I do think there is... I've always said with guys like Fields, guys like Anthony Richardson, these guys that are just the best athlete on the field, I don't think it's a boomer bust player because I think worst case scenario, you've got your starting running back or your star. I mean, it's like the guy's such an athlete. He's he, you can find a way to use him, use him on special teams, use him. Hey, as a Georgia guy, you telling me that Justin Fields couldn't be the next Heinz Ward? I mean, I would love to have. A, I would love. I I would love my team to have Anthony Richardson at tight end. I would love to have Justin Fields at wide receiver, or what you know, whatever it is. So you know, those guys. I think there's there's always like uh, they're, they're, we haven't seen that play out. Although it was always talked about with Lamar Jackson. Well, if he doesn't work out at quarterback, he could be a great wide receiver. He probably would have been. So again, with those athletes, there is some value just in their their raw athleticism. If they don't pan out at quarterback, Tim Tebow, of course, like tried the whole tight end thing. And but with Fields, it's like, yeah, I think that, you know, if you're going to perform at a Kenny Pickett or sub Kenny Pickett level, I think you have to be <laughs> humble enough to accept whatever contract they give you and be happy to have a chance to compete. Uh, to okay, start so I, distra- I distracted this. So Dak, <laughs> you're the Cowboys. Okay, Dak's Dak's a tough one because, like you said, in the NFL, you're you're not likely to win a Super Bowl without one of those top five guys, particularly when you're going to be competing against Mahomes in the next decade. That said, you look at the Cowboys situation and you look at a lot of other teams in the league, Giants would kill to have a Dak Prescott. Yeah. The Cardinals would kill to have a Dak Prescott. The, I mean, most teams in the NFL would kill to have a Dak Prescott. Right. Would gladly take being in a position to be in the playoffs every year and need to win three or four games to win a Super Bowl when you have a really good I, roster. Sorry, Doug. Until you get in that position, and then inevitably you really want out of that position, right? Yeah, so it's tough. I think, like, what are you going to do? Just They're not in a position. You know, they can't trade him for a top 10 pick, I don't think. And they can't. They can't trade him for Justin Herbert or for, you know, for another quarter. Maybe Justin Herbert. I don't know. For a top quarterback pro they can't train for Patrick Mahomes they can't train for Josh Allen they can't train for Lamar Jackson they can't train for Joe Burrow and, and so it's like I think they're kind of stuck I think that if I'm a Cowboys fan I just hope that we're, we're on one of those teams that does win it without having the best quarterback because we have seen that too Eli Manning Joe Flacco even old Peyton Manning for the Broncos Trent was Dilfer Trent Dil- I mean it happens it happens Nick Foles yeah. For the Eagles, okay. we, we've seen it. And it's so it's like, if I'm the Cowboys, I just say, you know what? 
we're going to put ourselves in a position to be in the playoffs. Jerry and Jones. Then we're going to try to build the best okay, defense we can and, and have one of those teams okay. that just does it in okay. spite of the quarterback not like fair. being the hey, best. Fair enough. I just, you know, you, you would think with – look, inevitably, I, I don't know. We could almost like make a list of people that the media loves the most in the NFL. And Justin Fields is definitely up there. Jerry Jones is another one, right? Yeah. So – Oh, Dak! Dak's been Dak's been a huge offseason headline almost every offseason last off like season. three or four years. So he's go, up there too. I mean, he if if they have a little bit of an off year, some injuries, and they go eight and nine, that's the biggest offseason story next year. Do you remember the Do you remember the Cooper Rush buzz when Dak yes, Dak missed a couple games and it was like he might not ever play again right. for the Cowboys. He might be out of there. <laughs> so yeah, maybe they already have their guy and it's Cooper Rush. So all right, Mike, I'm going to ask you a question based on. Like this is like two extremes. This is just too perfect. Justin Fields or Brock Purdy. Who are you taking? Fields being the most spectacular athlete. Brock being so underwhelming every time I watch him play, and his team keeps winning. And it's almost seems in spite of him, even though I know a lot of people, you know, he was an MVP candidate this year. Technically, I have never seen and Maybe I just tune in for the wrong games. I've never seen him do anything that I don't think fields or just about any quarterback in the league could do. But he does seem to take care of the football and his team keeps winning. Fields, on the other hand, does a lot of things that Purdy and a lot of quarterbacks can't do. Team doesn't win. Lots of mistakes. I love yeah. the question because it highlights everything that's a challenge about using analytics. Yeah. Right. Because. Purdy has demonstrated a record of success. And again, immediately the naysayers come in. On an amazing team. On an amazing team. And yeah. Fields was on a terrible team with terrible co- – and again, I don't I don't know if the Bears coaches might have been great. You know, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so it it is almost this, this thing where the – almost the biases of what your eyes – you know, of the way people process the spectacular plays in sports that we end up just remembering those far more than we do the, oh God, he just took the, he took the, remember week four when he took eight sacks in the first half? And I'm not saying that actually happened, but the the, the spectacular failures, I think, and end up being underweighted compared to yeah but then he ran 90 yards for a touchdown or threw the ball 60 yards on a and you know and hit a just the amazing the amazing players so i guess i look at it and i'm absolutely drawn to saying fields but i'm taking purdy i'm like going to correct myself in mid decision cuz part of me even though i've never been a fan of fields especially statistically I feel the draw. I feel the pull to that. So I understand the Bears fans, but I'm going to use the data to actually self-correct and go, no. So if you're the Bears, you you make that theoretical trade and you expect to win more games. Brock Purdy, same coaching staff, same players around him as Justin Fields for the Chicago Bears. With the number of draft picks that have, you know, ended up in that in that city. I mean, this this is one of the things that I mean, it's like the Lions when you're terrible for so long you end up with a team that is full of that is full of first round picks and in, in the upper the upper third of the first round and so your offensive and your defensive line and your skill positions you end up just being better than the other teams you're playing against and it's it's a mistake to attribute that to oh 
I mean, so if Field sticks around in two years and the Bears are essentially loaded with all these draft picks, did Fields get that much better or did the roster just improve? I mean, it's like what you were saying. The complexity of an NFL team in terms of all the moving parts makes all this stuff really a, a challenging a challenging endeavor. So Brock yeah. Purdy. Brock Purdy, Brock Purdy to the Bears. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, on the flip side, I know a lot of I, I one of my best friends is a 49ers fan and loves Purdy, you know, a lot of respect for Purdy, but also has a sneaking suspicion that the Niners will never get over the hump without an elite quarterback, without a top five quarterback. Doesn't feel that Purdy has that potential. And I mean, I think it's well documented at this point that Fields has that potential, but it seems like a, a low likelihood of him reaching that potential in in Chicago, at least. And so, okay. so Purdy's interception percentage for his career is two point four compared to uh, Fields three point one. So, it, you know, it's 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 in the same realm, but far fewer far fewer mistakes takes far fewer sacks. His touchdown percentage is actually higher than Fields, though, which is kind of an interesting one. It so, helps. It helps when Christian McCaffrey takes that screen okay. pass and runs it for eighty-five <laughs> yards. So I, again, the limitations of analytics of well, what about you know this a- outside factor? I feel like this is the limitations of analytics podcast. Yeah. Do you feel like he <laughs> also though that Purdy beat out Trey Lance? And I don't know enough of what Trey Lance is about. Because, but because of the way he was drafted with so little experience and so little film that I assume that it was based on the physical traits that he had. Well, it was. Yeah. The same kind of skill level as a, as a Justin Fields. Well, he went, he went in front of Fields. Right. But I, I don't know more arm strength, what his running abilities are look like. We just haven't seen enough of it. Uh, yeah, I'll be honest. I I personally felt I liked Fields better. I I s- still do, even though we obviously we haven't seen Trey Lance a whole lot in the NFL. But I felt that Lance benefited from the lack of film because with Fields, you could point at things and say, "Well, he does have this tendency to tuck it and run before a guy breaks out of his route. He has this tendency. You know, he had a little bit of a problem here. He had you know some not off the field like." crime related stuff but he had some bad body language at georgia when he wasn't getting what he wanted and you know there was a little bit of division in the locker room because of him there was with lance it was just like well we've seen a little bit everything we've seen is great and we haven't seen anything bad because there hasn't been any opportunity for anything bad so it it was kind of lance could have been playing in serbia right for all that (laughs) i mean it's like in the it's like in the nba when they you know, and they draft a kid who, like Kyrie Irving, played like three games in college, but it was like, well, he did a lot of good things. You know, really didn't see anything bad. So, really high upside versus a guy that that played the full season, and you got to see all of his, you know, turnover tendencies. <laughs> so, so there was no bad film on Kyrie Irving. There was no bad film on Trey Lance. Hey, Doug, where did Kyrie play? I believe it was Duke. Duke University for like, like I said, like four games. Eh, it doesn't matter. So Remarkably Duke. short career. Duke has been in the news over the weekend because – and what's great about this, right, is that Wake Forest was actually – may have been favored in that game over Duke. If you beat Duke, you storm the court. Because it was Duke, they stormed the court, and one of the Duke players was was injured 
you know, bang, bang knees, I think, with someone with a fan rushing the court, which is the second, I don't know, the second really high profile storming the court resulting in an injury when Caitlin Clark ran into, I don't even remember who it was. We now have these calls that we need to do something to ban fans rushing the court and probably rushing the football field. It, it seems like the pace of fan celebrations that involve rushing the field has increased post COVID. I mean, that's anecdotal with the, you know, just being this, this safety notion and, and the pushback in terms of not banning fans rushing the court because Hey, we beat Duke. We beat a Duke team that's ranked seventh in the seventh in the country. The, the pushback on the opposite side is just the notion that, well, schools really love the visuals, right? So good look. It, it ends up being this fandom argument they're, they're making that, well, they want the visuals of look at how engaged and excited our student body is, that they rushed the, they rushed the field when we beat Alabama, or they rushed the court when we beat Duke, or we beat Iowa. It's, it's a strange place to be because I think as, as someone really focused on fandom, yeah, rushing the court is, I think one of our favorite moments was that we both enjoyed was the, the Tennessee fans rushing their own, rushing their, you know, beating Alabama, tearing down the goalposts and throwing it in the river. So we all love that. But God, it's, it's kind of a bad look. And, and we don't even think about the fact that we only do this at the college level at this point. Yeah, and I think it's part of the magic of college sports uh, that, you know, overwhelming excitement from the student bodies, so much so that they run onto the field or the court. And I think something that's missing in this argument is the fact that it's technically not invited or allowed right now. I mean, when I've rushed the court, I rushed the court against Duke uh, at a Virginia basketball game years back. I've talked about it here on the show before. Ran straight to the Duke bench just to see coach k up close in person he complained about it on espn that there were people running to their pitch <laughs> well that was me um but anyway you know there's people trying to stop you when you're rushing the court you're rushing the field you're not allowed to and at georgia they always had you know the, they had the benefit of the hedges there did you see but, the big forest security guy this kind of going like this though like waving the uh, just, onto the court. Like you know what? Yeah. He's like, hey, I don't get paid enough. Maybe they need to pay those guys. Maybe it's like commission driven. How, how you get paid by a person that you stop rushing the field? But when I've been in those situations, they have you know you've got a thousand students for every three security people, and they they have no chance. They have no prayer, and so they're trying to stop you, or they're they're told to stop you. They're making an effort, but it's like you know, are these schools going to hire you know thousands of people to keep? for you know the rare chance that they win the, that game and then you know they need to keep the the court from being stormed or they expect the students to just not do it because again it's it it's not allowed to tear down the goalposts in the SEC it's not allowed to rush the field you get fi- the school gets fined and Tennessee of course welcomed it and gladly paid that bill mm-hmm. but you know it's it's there's already measures in place to try to prevent it and it's just it, it would take a lot of, it would take some just about take a military to keep college students who are intoxicated and having the the greatest time together and mass from going down there and taking what they want. And we have seen an increasing number of these and what they want (laughs) that they took the goalposts, Mike. They took, I mean, (laughs) if, if we do this, you rush the field, then you forfeit the next game. 
rushing the court, rushing the field would disappear instantly. Yeah, but would would it be like that much less fun for everyone? <laughs> I feel like it would be. I, look, I, as I was here's the thing: like you got to tell your players. Like, obviously, I mean, there's there's only so much you can protect yourself if someone's trying to hurt you. In the case of C- Caitlin Clark or Flipowski, it was really kind of a lack of not to victim shame here, a, a lack of awareness by that. It's like there's people coming. You gotta, you know, you gotta get out of there. You gotta, you gotta have your head on a swivel. Caitlin Clark was running with her head down. Flipowski and or Flopowski or however we're gonna call him now seems kind of oblivious to the fact that there were hundreds of people running and and ended up he kind of tried to brace it by putting his arm out or sort of shoving a guy and and it kind of backfired for him. But we've also seen cases where Jermaine Burton hits a female student. Bad look for Alabama football, especially when okay. they didn't suspend him. LSU I, had a player this year who punched an Ole Miss student when they stormed the field. Right. But, uh, you know, I think I think what you're highlighting is that there are significant differences between the two sports where they rush the, 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 the field, right? Yeah. In basketball, you've got players accused of flopping. You've got, and in football, you've got players accused of assault. You've got players who are wearing shorts and high tops. And then the other sport, you've got players that are playing a, a sport that is 100% physically oriented towards controlled violence who are essentially armored up in shoulder pads and helmets. And the football guys are also, they, they're they always the first ones to talk about they're concerned about their player safety. The coach, yeah. Nick Saban, talked about it after that Tennessee game. And the basketball basketball guys are and, and ladies are, again, kind of oblivious in these these recent scenes that have led to supposed injury it's of a, star players. This is a really small point, but as I was watching ESPN, it was the the Get Up show, and Mike Greenberg was talking about some of the social media reactions to these two incidents, and and he was going on I, I, calling the calling the social media commentators morons or idiots that accused you know, the the Duke player of flopping or Caitlin Clark of instigating the content. And all I could think was ESPN anchors are now arguing with internet trolls, right? Because in particular, like the, the Caitlin Clark troll that claimed that Caitlin Clark was to blame. I can't even remotely imagine that that was a serious post. That was so clearly a, I know a way to get a thousand responses to a comment. <laughs> and so like when traditional media meets modern media, I mean, I guess I don't really have a point, a point to this, but it's, it's kind of an interesting thing when these two things come together and traditional media has no idea who they're talking to. They don't understand the conversation they're taking part in. They don't understand the sarcasm in a lot of these comments in these situations. Yeah. And, and we've seen that with, again, F- F- Flipowski being rebranded as Flopowski and made to, you know, okay, the next sorry. made into the next Duke big man villain. Yeah, and, and just as a a couple of guys that are traditional college basketball fans, Duke plays a special role in all of our hearts. The Duke, big, no one has sympathy yeah. for Duke guys. Our starting yeah. point is always kind of anti-duke and we almost have to self-correct and say, yeah, but this is this is not a this is not a good situation, but. There, there's some sort of fan amusement of 
I mean, you know, it's, it's you can imagine a situation where Wake Forest was the number two team in the country or the number one team in the country. Duke was having an off year and they're just two games above 500 and they still rush the court. Right. I think I think it's it probably is super frustrating. Like Duke more so than even like UNC. If Duke loses a game on the road, the court gets rushed every time. It's been that way for forever. I thought it might stop when Coach K left, but nope, it's still happening. And it, it feels like it's always going to be that way. So I know that they're sick of it, and I know that they probably do. And there, there is a legitimate safety concern of just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean someone couldn't go down there and try to hurt you know, the coach or one of the players or something. And I understand why Coach K, like after that game where we ran down, was concerned because like, yeah, I could have gone down there and tackled him or like gotten in a fight with him or something. I mean, I didn't do that. I would never do that. And I, I would like to think the most How college student. How old were you? 18. Okay. So yeah, but you still had a smartphone. So you, there might be video of this. Uh, I'm trying. There's pictures of me down there. With, I mean, Joe Harris and he's, he's you a NBA guy. You now. weren't filming your own crime though. No, no okay. I wasn't. This was kind of like a little bit before everything was documented that way. Yeah, a little I mean, bit. That, I'm aging part, myself, but that's part of the bizarreness of the story of like every kid now rushing the court is also filming them rushing the court. Yeah, it's kind of like the. I mean, this is an extreme example, but the whole like capital insurrection, the way the FBI found most of those guys because they posted pictures on the internet and posted videos of themselves <laughs> breaking into the Capitol. It's like, well, you know, it, you're you're again, you're documenting your own crime, and so, and not to get political, but yeah, I mean, I think that's part of nowadays for college students. I think that's part of the experience is being able to show everyone you know, how great of a time they're having running onto the field. And in the case of that one Ole Miss student, how great a time he had getting punched in the face by an LSU, I believe, defensive lineman. Okay, well, let's get a little bit political in the closing moments of the episode. And in particular, I mean, not really political, but cultural slash political. Saturday Night Live had an interesting host. You want to describe it? I mean... Uh, I watched the clips. You watched the the the, sh- the actual show, so yeah. So they bring on a guy to host. J- this is just context. Yeah, this guy was fired from Saturday Night Live as a. I'm not sure if he was a writer or a cast member. Usually, it's usually it's a cast member. Or I mean, a, a writer first. So I'm imagining he was a writer. Was fired, I believe, for some some racial insensitivities, for lack of a better term, in his writing and in his his personal content, his his humor on the internet. You know, I guess his YouTube channel or TikTok or whatever. I don't know when this was. Dude's had a successful comedy career, not not a household name, Shane Shane Gillis. And it, more context, he'd previously said to I guess his internet audience that if he were ever invited on to SNL to host again that that he i'm not even going to go into detail he would do some awful things on stage and so controversial guy and he is invited on snl i guess my my only guess is that numbers have been down and they've had to try something different something you know that that's going to catch some headlines so host snl breaks every rule in terms of political correctness in today's day and age and the way i found out about this saturday night live episode because i did not watch it live I saw on Twitter, I saw a string of tweets, people I know, accounts I follow, saying, wait, when did SNL become funny again? Has it been like this lately? This is hilarious. All positive feedback. People saying they're cracking up, you know, I'm dying, blah, blah, blah. 
and then I talk to someone else and I say, Hey, did you, did you hear about SNL last night? And they say, yeah, I heard that the host completely bombed it. I heard that it was a total whiff. Okay. Well, let me read some headlines then. So yeah. NPR, Shane Gillis struggles in Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live monologue. Yep. NBC News, Shane Gillis was fired from SNL for racist and homophobic dot, dot, dot. But you're right. SNL host Shane Gillis tells audience not to Google why he was fired. So yeah, 100%. It was all that he struggled that he was not very good or going asking people to essentially go back and see why he was fired for some comments essentially made on a podcast it looks like yeah and again he he if you just read the press not a lot of glowing reviews you would think it was a horrible episode if you just read my twitter feed and it could be different for your twitter feed depending i guess how on how the algorithm you know what what they show to you but you would think it was the funniest thing that ever happened. And again, just a, a classic example, not just of, of how the media works in this day and age, but also of how divided audiences are. And even you could see it. And I watched the episode. There was division in that room, Mike. Yeah. He's telling jokes. You've got people, you can hear people laughing like hyenas. He's also making comments about how there's a lot of people in the audience just kind of giving him the death stare like they're 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 taking this personally they're offended and you could see behind him some people on stage giving him a death stare yeah in his opening monologue you could see some members of the band who clearly were not having it clearly not enjoying this and and they typically for those who watch they're usually laughing at just about everything it's almost like a courtesy laugh part of the job Uh, yeah it's part of the job and so again highly divisive guy it reminds me of like the barstool effect in sports where these guys are negatively covered by the press but they have an audience that really eats it up and really and it's almost like is the press the only people that hate this because it seems like everyone loves it that's how it felt with saturday night live on saturday you know what it reminded me of and and again there's a larger theme here that we're not going to we're not drawing any conclusions or making any dramatic insights but this separation between media coverage and comment sections is really a fascinating element of our age right where you can see people love Shane Gillis on social media but you go to the Washington Post you go to NPR and they make it sound like it was a complete disaster now, and this might seem like a little bit of a stretch. One of the things that I've been looking at on social media the last week or couple of weeks is this uh, UFC fighter, Sean Strickland. Hmm. And when I see Sean Strickland's comments, again, you get the same kind of the, the mass media pillories the guy. You know, he's a reprobate. He's got no redeeming features. But when I walk, look at him, and again, this is you know the, the difference in, in ages. I mean, I'm kind of interested on in your take on him from a Gen Z perspective. Sean Strickland sounds like every like high school or junior high wrestling coach that I ever knew growing up. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, straight 1980s mentality. And you look at what he generates in social media, and essentially it's almost all positive support to the point where you kind of go, if you're the UFC – Sean Strickland might be one of the faces of my organization at the moment, but oh no, I'm scared to death of, of where this is going to go. And I, I got the same kind of vibe from 
from Shane from Shane Gillis as it's almost like this this callback to an earlier era of what was acceptable or even you know the early 2000s in terms of mentality yeah. and it's just again I'm not making any value judgments it's a fascinating time to watch this stuff play out in terms of the fight over what's going to be acceptable discourse yeah and I, I again some of the feedback I saw on Twitter which I, I love Twitter because it gives you a pulse on the public more so than just the media and even though it is a form of media you know, it was like comedy is back. Finally, we're making like we can just let loose and have fun again and not take everything so seriously. I was seeing that stuff. And again, like you said, it was a total train wreck, according to the, the mass media. And, you know, there's two other areas where I've seen this a lot recently. One is like Rotten Tomatoes. If you look at I think it was one of the Star Wars films that came out in that last trilogy where it's like or the Marvel movies. right? Yeah. But I mean, you'll see one way or the other. You'll see either the critic reviews you know the the consensus is that it's 98% positive reviews and then the audience score will be like 54% or something like that or on the flip side you'll see something that gets just panned by the critics and that audiences love and my next point is that you know an- another place where i'm seeing this and there's there's something tying this all together but in politics when we get and we'll get there in the you know in the fall political debates if you watch two different news organizations after a debate, you would think it was a completely different set of events that had transpired prior. You would think, because you'll watch a debate, you'll be like, oh yeah, everybody just kind of said their thing. And then you'll watch one channel and they say, this candidate won by a landslide. Wasn't even close. It was just completely took the world by storm and submitted themselves as the candidate that everyone has no option but to vote for. And then you flip the channel and they're saying that candidate was a complete disaster. Look at this time that candidate mumbled over their words. Look at this time that candidate answered in a way that might have offended somebody. Look at a way. And so we're, we're taking the same information in the information age. We have access to equal information, but depending on the form of media, could be a completely different conclusion. And a lot of people are basing their opinions based on what they're hearing from whether there's what they're seeing on Twitter. It's just a sign of the times that we're in and it, it trickles into sports. It trickles into humor, you know, comedy, it trickles into social media and pop culture, things like films and TV. So, so again, it's, you know, with, with fanalytics, it's like, analyzing fandom it's this is this is playing a huge role in how fans perceive the world perceive media well and look here's here's the problem right that people you know this idea of well you've got to have an independent source of information when we look at these political campaigns yeah absolutely depending on which news outlet you're getting you're getting a different interpretation of a political event the problem is that we've got so little, and, and I think people should view this as a problem, no matter which side of the aisle you're on, if you're an honest commentator, is that you know there's always this massive boogeyman of, well, here's Fox and their unadulterated love of Donald Trump. But on the other side, well, there's ABC, there's CNN, there's MSNBC, there's CBS, et cetera, et cetera. So there's, I mean- it, it, it's it's sort of one versus eight. Now the one it doesn't might- seem like either of those sides are going to hold their 
no candidate accountable. But the point <laughs> is really just that there's multiple voices that are, you know, that there's there's an imbalance in terms of that coverage. And look, I'm an academic, so I know the argument that Fox is, you know, Fox News, fake news, and they shouldn't even be allowed out there. But it's, you know, it, it's something that people have got to get right if they don't want this culture to continue spiral into different directions. Now, the the last thing I want to mention, we're currently in it. Bringing up politics kind of fits it. We're bringing we're in the we're in the early stages of data collection for the 2024 fandom survey, and the first bit of content that we will put out there will be a look at some of the key figures coming up in the 2024 presidential election. In, in particular, we're asking respondents about fandom or liking or passion for, well, Biden and Trump, the presumptive nominees, Kamala Harris as the you know, as, as Biden's running mate, also RFK, Gavin Newsom, and Michelle Obama as some of the names that have been speculated as possible replacements for Biden. Again, what an interesting, what an interesting presidential so, uh, cycle. And then on the Republican side, essentially all of the names that have been mentioned as possible VPs for 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 Trump. Now we're getting a little bit long here, so I'll we'll we'll end up with something really kind of quick here, Doug. As we go into this fandom survey, twenty twenty four. My prediction is we're going to see a bump up in fandom. That in terms of general sports and entertainment fandom, the mood of the country is a little bit more positive than it's been in the last year. So I'm anticipating. There's also some negative signals, right? MLB's TV ratings, um, some of the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe's movies' failings. That's been a big part of the movie industry. But in general, I'm seeing or sensing almost a little bit more of a positive move back towards passion for sports and entertainment. Yeah, I don't know. The Swift Tour, I think, is going to be on its international leg, and that, that might hurt the the local fandom. Okay, uh, but I'm saying Taylor has made people happy. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, I, I, I think you might be onto something. I think when people are engaged, this is my observation, I think when people are engaged with just society as a whole, fandom tends to, across the board, increase and so when we have the election where people in in a year that it feels like monumental people really lock into that and become hyper engaged and you know it's likely to trickle into other things like sports and pop culture and to that point it'll be an interesting year of seeing how individuals figures in the pop culture world and in the sports world handle that given how divisive public stances have become where, I mean, we've seen it with Taylor Swift, who I don't even know if she's made any kind of public stance, but she somehow has become a liberal darling and a conservative enemy. Same with Travis Kelsey. We've seen, you know, we've seen this in years past where it's, it's Mr. Pfizer. Yeah. According what was that Aaron Rodgers? Yeah. And again, he's another perfect example of somebody that really divided his, his fans and, and his supporters. Uh, and so, Tra- Taylor is liberal because the only conservative celebrities are Kid Rock, Scott <laughs> Bayo, Ted Nugent, and maybe Vince Vaughn. Oh, and Mel Gibson. Oh, and like Lil Wayne endorsed Trump, <laughs> I think, in the last election because he pardoned him for some federal crime. Yeah. So it, it's, yeah, it'll be an interesting year in, in regards to fandom because there's a decision to be made and a lot of athletes in a lot of leagues, but very much looking forward to the 
fandom study and kind of keeping our ongoing study through the podcast. So you guys can take a look at what we've got so far at fandomanalytics.com. And like I said, we'll start publishing or like I wrote on the website, we'll start publishing results probably mid-March. So fingers crossed that Trump will not have announced a VP by then. So till next week, thank you.